0: Back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, and you've joined me and Joe as together we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in everyday life. And Joe's giving me a look because he doesn't think I'm a young adult <laughs> anymore. You, you over lunch you described yourself as a middle-aged man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's because the bishop recently described me as. a Ouch. Yeah, we were all of the chaplains of high schools were meeting together, and, and the bishop said, "I'm so grateful for all these young priests." And that one middle aged priest. Ouch. Well, I'm nothing about obe- obedient to the bishops, so. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty as charged, as they say. <laughs> well, that's actually a great segue because <laughs> today we're going to be talking about mortality and memento mori, which is a very uh, famous kind of idea in the church, which means remember your death. And, uh, you know, as we're recording this in the month of November, which is the kind of the month that's dedicated to the holy souls in purgatory, and, and kind of as we see the natural world around us dying as the leaves fall down. It does make us think about death and things. I mean, have you ever—do you ever consider ponder your own death?
1: Yeah, actually. So um, I was recently going through um, an introduction introduction to the devout life by St. Francis de Sales. I don't know if you ever read it. Oh, yeah. I love that book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's funny because we had a class on it first in seminary, and— I kind of got the vibe from class it sensed that the sales was well maybe a little lighter than he ends up being and like a little more like ah oh, it's all going to be okay and he's pretty hardcore and one of the one of the reflections is on your death as so you picture like who would be there how old you would be you know um it was actually kind of interesting so yeah I have I have actually did think about it during Holy Hour one time mm. a few weeks ago and was that unnerving was it wasn't unnerving um but it did help me kind of yeah help me kind of think of things that I want to have done in my life Mm. People I want to still be close to when I die. How old I want to be when I die? You know, how old do you um, want to be when you die? I'm um, old. Not that
0: we have any say in the yeah, matter.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I always kind of, I always kind of joke about like, oh, like you know, I'm, I'm just turned 24. Probably you know more than halfway there now. But like in reality, <laughs> more, than halfway more, halfway more than in reality, I would to like 48. I'd like to die really old, like 70. You know, Ooh, kidding. Well, some of our listeners <laughs> I know, I'm just are uh, 70. I'm just, you kidding. Know, I would like, but I would, but like in a real way, though, like I would like to die in control of my faculties is one thing that like I kind of knew about myself
0: already. But like, yeah,
1: definitely definitely was hammered home. Uh,
0: yeah, you know, my, my family has a lot of Alzheimer's and dementia right. in it, and so I don't know if that's going to be possible for me. Right. I was going to say, I know you have thought about your death a lot, right? Yeah, yeah quite a bit, quite a bit. And even, like, even as a little kid, that was kind of a driving force in my life. I know it was kind of weird, but like I remember being like nine years old, sitting on the rock in our front yard thinking, man, life is going so quickly. Right. Like, that's weird, I know. <laughs> no, no, I get it, though. But, you know, instead of, for me at least, instead of making like – it like, oh, I'm sad, so—I mean, I guess there's a couple ways you can take it. You can take it as like, well, life is short, so let's have as much pleasure as you want, or life is short, let's, let's uh, do as much good as you can. It's funny, I, a few years ago, um, I was hiking with some friends, and there's, there's only been one time in my life that I've seen someone die. And it was on this hike. A bunch of friends and I were, uh, were on these cliffs overlooking the Potomac, Potomac River on the Maryland side. And on the Virginia side, there were some of um, these young adults that were hiking. And and they were all Hispanic. And 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 um, so we were just kind of like watching them as we're eating our lunch. And they're eating their lunch. And it had just rained. And so there was like the, the, the Potomac River, especially in that part, it's called Great Falls in Virginia. And it was really like raging river, incredible raging. And two of them decided to go swimming in it. And so one swam all the way across and made it, and the other guy started swimming, and he got to the middle, and he started crying out, "Ayuda me, ayuda me, help me, help me, as he's kind of bobbing up and down in the water, and then he goes down and doesn't come up. Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of a sobering experience for all of us. You know, we call 911, we see, like, helicopters coming in there and, uh, you know, search rescue boats, you know, going up the river and everything, Few divers coming in, and then the police find us, you know, and they, and they just... You know, obviously, we're not in trouble or anything, but they just kind of questioned us, like, you know, "Tell me what happened." You know, what, what exactly did you see? And the other guy who swam across wanted to run away because he was probably not an, not a legal immigrant, so he tried to get out of there. But we we basically detained him and said, "You have to stay and talk to the police." Mm-hmm. Actually, the rest of the people on the Virginia side just left
1: mm-hmm.
0: because the same same different same situation. So after that, like some of the friends that I was with, I remember talking with one of them, a guy named Ben, and. Um, after that, like he was in college at the time, I was probably in seminary or something, and um, he really kind of went off the rails and started like drinking heavily and doing this and that. And and I asked him one time later on, he ended up coming back to his faith through a program. Have you ever heard of Hard as Nails? Hard yeah. as Nails is this ministry that's founded by this this really like tough football player type guy named Justin Fatika. He's really like intense and in your face. Like he'll preach the gospel and be like, "You need to turn to Jesus." Type deal, you know. So he, so my friend Ben became a missionary for him. Hmm. And I asked him, like, okay, well, you know, what happened there when— why did you go off the rails? Because, like, he was a really faithful Catholic, then went off the rails and then came back. And he said, he said, well, I realized after that experience that death was, you know, was coming, and he's like, I've got to live it up. I've got to, like, experience everything I possibly can, like sex and drugs and drinking and all this stuff, Well, because life is short. Right. And I was like, hmm, you could have you taken that the other way. Right. You know, life is short, live it well. <laughs> right, right. But—
1: yeah, I don't think I've actually ever seen, I, just think, I don't think I've ever seen, I, I've not seen anybody die, which isn't that surprising because you really only see people die either in an accident or someone you're very close to dying in a hospital. Yeah. So. Have you had anyone close to you pass away, I mean, um,
0: grandparents or?
1: So my grandfather died when I was a freshman in high school, but I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't in the room for that. It was just my dad and my grandmother. And were you, I mean, were you close with him? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then my, my, my grandmother on the other side died um, April of 2020 but she had mm. COVID and she so nobody was gonna be able to see her in person. So my one person got to see her in person, which was my aunt. My mom had to, I think, like FaceTime her or something like that. Mm. So that wasn't gonna happen either. Um That was so sad.
0: Yeah. The whole experience. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So otherwise, yeah, no, I've not um had anybody close to die close enough that I would be in the hospital with them, right? That's like a different level of intimacy, I think. Yeah. But that is one of the things that the sales has you meditate on though, right? Is who would be at your bedside, which
0: is interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As a priest, I don't know who would be at my bedside. Hopefully, another priest. <laughs> well, yeah, me I mean that, but, but that's but that's
1: something I was thinking about. Like in theory, right? Like my bishop, God willing, that I'm ordained one day, and like who else? Because I won't have kids or or a wife, right? So like, yeah. hopefully my sisters still alive. That was that was one. Yeah, your, your nieces but, and nephews. Yeah, if God grants them. to Then I was thinking, hopefully, there's one priest who I have mentored enough that they would be that they would be there for me. Yeah, because I'll probably be dead before you. So it's can... <laughs> like. I won't, yeah.
0: I won't be able to be at your bedside when right. you die. Right. I hope. You'll be with the choirs of angels. I hope. Yeah, that's, that's the goal, right? So, I mean, like, during this meditation, like, when you think about your own death, does it cause fear, peace? No, it wasn't. Eager a, anticipation?
1: Yeah, I imagine. Um, no, no, I mean, not not not, not fear necessarily. Um, but there's a lot. I mean, life is good. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good things on this earth that I like, that that uh, a lot of good people and a lot of good work to do. So, um, not Yeah, eagerness definitely not. Um, I'm not afraid of dying, but like suffering, like a a suffering death is is kind of a a, a, a sad thought, you know. Yeah. Or like a lonely death.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But happy death
1: can be beautiful. Obviously, it's the thing we pray for. So
0: yeah, that's every night we pray for it,
1: don't we? So yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's funny because Saint John Bosco, you know, who ran this boarding school for boys in Turin, Italy, you know, he'd have all his boys once a month do an exercise for happy death, and you think like try doing that like in a modern elementary school. But like, eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds. Yeah. But back in those days, like, you really never knew if this was your last month on Earth. And it was right. kind of a much more present reality. Everybody back then saw somebody die.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we were, we were talking in class the other day about, um, like, how our culture handles death. Because um, people always say, oh, we're a culture of death, which is true to an extent. But I don't think people who... People don't think that. Like, they don't think, oh, I'm supporting abortion euthanasia because if I believe in a culture of death, it's just it's a natural consequence of what they believe to be not death, right? That's, like, a whole other issue. But, but yeah, like, our culture does handle death weirdly because on the one hand, we encourage it in certain ways. Um, on the other hand, we're, we're, we, we most people don't believe in an afterlife. So, you see, you'd think that a culture which had lost faith in God and in heaven would be horrified of death, mm. like, more so than ours is, I think. You'd, you'd think, like, oh, wow, like, not only you only live once, live it up, but also, like, live as long as you can. Because this is literally
0: all there is. But I think there, we saw that coming out in the COVID pandemic. Yeah, I, mean, I think that was why people had such a, a visceral yes. gut reaction and fear of this virus. Is yeah. that well, if there is no life after death, right, then you have to do everything possible to preserve that life. And and we yeah. see that too. I mean, I don't want to knock like safety features. I wear a seatbelt and wear a helmet biking. After my, after I almost died on a bike accident. Yeah. But but you know, we just kind of live in a very overly safe culture in some respects. Yeah. You know? Which has these good points, but it also kind of a shows that we do fear death and we want to preserve life as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how I, I've, in teaching a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with my, um, my sophomores at the school I teach, and we were talking about martyrdom, and they said, you know, and you know, here's that difficult moral question, right? If you, if you just step on an image of Jesus, they'll give you another 20 years of life. Is it worth it? You know, And I was really shocked to see these very devout Catholic kids say, yeah, it's worth it just go to confession afterwards, no big deal, right? Or you don't really mean it, so God knows your heart. And But that's like this fear of death being like, well, do we really believe that death is a passageway to a new and more abundant life?
1: Yeah, which is what it is. Um, and I think as a consequence of the fall, death also is scary to us and can be painful and um, necessitates separation. But that isn't how it had to be. Um, and that isn't how it has to be, right? Um, because if you... Have um reason to believe that a loved one dies in a state of grace and you can trust in God's mercy, then death actually is just it's 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 a goodbye for now. Mm-hmm. you know and that would change the way we look at it, too, I think. we have a um the professor teaches us um teaches our Bible class. her husband just passed away like very like within like last like two or three weeks, and we went to her funeral and she was, was like like fine, like sad, sure. Um, but she was smiling. She was like, and it wasn't like a front, you know, you could tell, like she was really at peace with the fact that this guy had lived a good life and she could just trust
0: in God's mercy that one day she, she'd see him again.
1: Hmm. And That's great. Hmm. You know,
0: that is, that takes a lot of faith because yeah. even though I, you know, I do believe certainly with my whole heart and soul in everlasting life, I think I'd be scared, a little scared when that day comes.
1: Yeah. Because um, because no one's been there, you know, except for Christ. and Right. And, yeah, and um, a good Catholic has enough fear of presumption beaten into him to worry about <laughs> assuming he's going to go to heaven, right? So you always
0: want to kind of remind yourself that you're not in heaven until you're in heaven, you know? Well, um, that's one thing I wonder about, too, and that's a little bit what makes me tremble at, at death. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm not clear on where I stand in the sight of God. You know, things, things, cause I, we, I mean, we make excuses for all kinds of sins, right? Like it wasn't really a big sin. It's not a big deal. You know, was it a big sin? I don't know. I mean,
1: and we also are very content to f- solve moral problems in our life later. <laughs> like, Well, you know, this is, tr- yeah, I should be doing this. No, but I'm young and I'll go to stop and go to confession one day or something like that. Right. Like, um. Or oh you know he's young but you, you, gotta, you gotta you gotta you gotta sow your wild oats but he'll come back to the faith in a few years it's like well yeah if he's alive in a few years but you know if not I mean you know would you want to be the you know we can hear that a lot from people right like well yeah sure like my son my brother my cousin my whomever you know my 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 daughter my whatever it is right like oh yeah well, you know she'll come back when she's older it's like she I hope sure hope she lives to be older then because that's exactly yeah
0: we could be taken at any yeah. moment
1: you really really don't you really know don't that sense of complacency and I think that's the vow, the virtue of memento Mori, right it, it
0: fights against complacency. Mm. Yeah, that's very true because if 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 I think I'm going to die in 50 years, then you got 49 years to live it up. <laughs> and that was like the early Christians, right? I mean, they
1: really thought the end was coming soon. Um Sure. Uh, and and it it changes how you we were talking about yeah. Yeah, you it changes how you how you approach your own sin. You know, it changes it it changes the urgency with which you view the sacrament of confession.
0: Yeah. So if you had 24 hours left to live, what how would you spend it? Uh I would, make, I would make a confession. I
1: would go to, I would go to Mass. Um, how would I spend it? Um, see, anything you do on Earth to prepare like anything you try to enjoy on Earth your last day is going to feel cheap by comparison with Heaven. Hmm. So I think I would try to spend, I, th- I would try to see as many of my friends as possible, I think. Oh, that's um, good. That's good, yeah. Because that's the one thing that I, can't, that I won't be able to do in the same way while I'm in Heaven until, until they join.
0: Well, I don't know. I don't think you can eat chicken parm in the same way. But it would
1: be in a in a, in a, in a glorified way, A <laughs> glorified chicken farm. <laughs> glorified chicken farm.
0: Mm. Oh,
1: yeah. um, no, but like you know, there'd be lots of people i would want to say things too. Lots of thank yous that never been articulated. Lots of sorries that were never that were never yeah. that were never said. Lots of I um, love yous. That lots of that I love yous. Hidden. Lots of people who have meant things to me that I never fully articulated properly, or you know, yeah, just there'd be a lot of there'd be a lot of, of work to do. I think. Yeah. So how about that's, you?
0: That's one thing in my family that we've, we've started to do more and more with even me and my siblings is that when we, when we have phone conversations, we end it with, I love you. Hmm. Which is never, it's, my family is like the least touchy-feely family in the world. Sure. Like we, I still shake hands with my mom. <laughs> you know? Still? You meaning you did when you were a kid? <laughs> yeah. Like we never, and like we're not like a snuggly, huggy, kissy type of family. <laughs> but, but I'm realizing that, yeah, I mean, who knows? Like if, if this is the last time I ever talked to them, I don't want to regret not saying I love you.
1: Yeah, and you know, um, you never know when that last time is. Yeah, it just occurred to me that um, there was a guy by the name of Brother Sean Salmon. I may mention him before. He was the former um, superior general of the Marist Order. He also was in residence at Marist. He was retired, and he he and I became pretty close. Very good guy. He's done and seen more in his life than I probably ever will. Very smart, crazy theologically, but but a very good person. <laughs> um, and we would, I, you know, we would tax occasionally, and I would go visit him and stay the night every once in a while. And in, like during the summer, I, I he just he wasn't texting me back, and I was getting kind of a little agitated about it. Actually, kind of like huh, like I'm a little annoyed he hasn't texted me back. Um, but I'm I'm a, I'm a Gen Zer, so I would never call somebody. Obviously, uh, I for <laughs> nothing. Um, no, don't bother. That'd be crazy. But then my drive down to, to, to move into seminary, I, I kind of was like, you know, what? I really I really should I really should call him. Um, and I'd gotten the sense the last time I was with him that it might be the last time I was with him. Just something about it. He was not in gr- doing great. So I called him and he answered. He was in the hospital, which I didn't know. And he was having some, he had a lot of health problems and you could tell he was not fully there. But We chatted for like 15 minutes. Hmm. And, was, and he said to me, you know, Joe, um, it's a lot of time for reflection. I said, Oh, like, like about what brother? And he said, well, you know, I've lived a good life and I'm like, I'm, 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 I wouldn't change anything of it. Like I'm, 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 I'm at peace with God and like, like I'm, I got, like things are like, it's good. And he died like a few weeks later. Wow! And um, and I just am so, I was so grateful that I that that God moved me to make that phone call and I had had the opportunity to get to know him. But you really never know. Mm. You know what I mean, you really never know what like um yeah.
0: So, but you know, it's interesting how many times the Holy Spirit puts that on people's heart. I mean, my mom, uh, my grandmother died of of some sort of dementia type disease, and and God blessed my grandfather for taking care of her till the very end. But my mom, just out of the blue felt called one day, she's like, you know, I just think, I just think I need to go see mom. And so my mom went down to go see her mom, um, just spend the night, spend the evening with her. And then she came back and the very next day she died and no one was expecting it. But she had that, that inkling from the Holy Spirit, like this is the last time you're going to see your mother alive. Go, go down and be with her, which is kind of a beautiful thought. and, Mm -hmm. And I've heard lots of stories of like that, like people just kind of feeling like, I just need to call you. And then this is the last time you have that opportunity.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of different mystical things that happened around death. Like I, I've heard people, you know, seeing things, angels or beautiful lights, things like that. Yeah. You know, I love the example of St. Dominic Savio, who, you know, his very last words were, oh, what beautiful things I see. Like that's, that's a good way to go out.
1: <laughs> there was a saint, uh, I can't remember who it was. I think he, um, he was playing pool or something. And some, you know, holier-than-thou brother came up to him and said, you know, whatever his name was. St. Charles Bar that yeah, who it was? Yeah, exactly. okay. You'd think I would know that since I go to his seminary. Um, and somebody said to him, um, you know, what would you do if, if the Lord came back right now and found you playing pool? He said something like, well, I think, what did he say? It was something like, I, um. He said to would keep playing it because he started yeah. it
0: with the intention of glorifying God. Right, right,
1: God. right. And that's that's kind of funny too, right? It's like, even that, you said, like, what would you do in your last day? Like, whatever I enjoy doing, like, if it all glorifies God, then, then that's good, you know?
0: Yeah, so. yeah. I don't know what I would do with my last day. I knew if I had like a month left, I'd go to Europe and yeah. I definitely want to, I want to, I've always wanted to hike the Alps, you know, but then at the same time, you're, you're just kind of like, is that self-indulgent? Yeah. I mean, you're going to, you're going you're gonna to yeah. not hang out with your family and go to hike the Alps. I mean, I think. I'd invite them to come. But. It's nice to do. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So, I mean, how is it, what's a good way then, um, especially as young adults, because like, you know, for a lot of us, hopefully most of us, our death is still 60, years, 70, away. 80 years away. Like, first of all, should we be preparing for death? And second of all, how should we be preparing for death?
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, you should prepare for death because you don't know that 60 years away or whatever. Um, um, I th- Well, I think maybe one thing that w- that we wouldn't think about is, like, you do have work here on Earth, and I think we have an obligation to make sure it could continue without us. Hmm. So, like, if you died today, could St. Jude still function? Like, how long would it take to recover? You know what I mean? Um if you're in a situation where there's nobody who knows enough about what you're doing to take your place, it's not really
0: good either. Um, so almost, almost, honestly, like training the next generation. Like always though.
1: Yeah, always. Because you never know. Because you could be, I mean, forget death. You could be reassigned tomorrow. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> that's true. Which is a kind of death, you know, in a sense. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing. Otherwise, you know, I think um, examining your life from that perspective of death, right? Like if I died today, who would I wish I could say something to before I went? Mm. And like, am I waiting too long on that? um yeah and also the obvious which is like am i right with god today
0: um it's uh it's obvious but it's not as not done as much as it no. should be done yeah
1: even including by, my, yeah. I mean, including by myself i would say
0: yeah 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 my, myself too but you know i i teach this at this classical catholic school and and um especially this year i've been noticing that like probably a good 25 to 30 percent of the kids don't go to communion during our weekly mass hmm. and i wonder if their souls are right with god you know and why, what would hold them back and and I keep urging them, you know, go to confession, go to confession. And they feel kind of like awkward going to confession to me because I'm, I'm also their teacher and I play sports with them. So right. they're kind of like, yeah, we don't really want to confess our sins to you. But at the same time, like, don't put it off. yeah, Don't put off till tomorrow what, what you can do today, spiritually speaking. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to go into a later episode when we talk about uh, achadia and, and spiritual sloth.
1: Is that how that word's pronounced?
0: Achadia. It's Latin, so right. So, is it Latin? Yeah, it must be. Yeah, it's so, Latin. So, yeah, yeah. so, that pronunciation
1: makes sense then. Hmm, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. I learned something, and I don't have to listen to the episode. That's great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, fortunately, you're on the episode, so uh, that's, that's it. That is a shame. <laughs> <laughs> so let's pivot a little bit from there and like talk about like um, funerals and things because mm. that's another aspect of death that uh, is coming. And I mean, um, for, first of all, do you have how many funerals have you attended in your life? Um. Not a
1: ton. My grandfather's, um, the our teacher who um, I just mentioned, her husband died. Hers, hmm. um, jeez, I'm blanking on his name now. But Bishop McGinnis was an auxiliary from Philadelphia. He just passed. He passed away a few hmm. weeks ago, and we all went to his funeral. Did you ever have someone young, or someone from your high school, or? Not that I was able to go to the funeral. One person from high school did die when I was, I think, a junior. Really? Um, but I was, I, I wasn't close to him, and I wasn't able to go to the funeral when it when it when it came around. It was a uh, it was a sudden death. Yeah, yeah a sudden death. Um, hmm. So I've only been, I've not been to the funeral of a sudden. All, I should say, also, a funeral service for some friends of mine who were Jewish, and their mom died when they were very young from cancer. Oh wow.
0: Um, so you have to I've been to a good number though you must have been to a million because you're a priest As a priest so you celebrate yeah. them yeah we, I have to say I'm very very blessed that I've never celebrated the funeral of a young person that is tough. the youngest I did was probably someone in their 30s I mean a couple like drug overdoses in their 30s sure. and 40s which was which was very sad Yeah. especially cuz they they left kids behind but mm. but I'm very grateful I've never done one of a teenager or, Yeah it has got to be brutal I can't imagine what yeah. that's going to be like cuz I'm sure it's going to happen at some point yeah. in my priesthood mm-hmm. yeah. But so what do you what do you say at, at a funeral to console. I mean, how do you how can you even help somebody that's is grieving? Mm. This is actually a big debate
1: down down in the seminary house that I'm at because a lot of people get upset that funerals have become masses of of um, canonization. You know? and, um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I, I kind of get frustrated with these people. But one person made a very good point, which was, you know, I went to this funeral. I won't say which one it was or what which one of which one it was, but it's one of the two I mentioned. And he said, you know, nothing about that mass or that homily made me feel the need to pray for that person. And I was like, huh, that's an excellent point. And so I, I, I think, having never done it before, and therefore being free to think whatever I want about it <laughs> and free from the, the the consequences, I think that the key is to inspire those listening to pray for the person in question, to remind them that we don't know where they are, and that's why I have an obligation to pray for them, but also to encourage, to give them hope that this person is in heaven, to encourage them um, to live a life such that if this person is in heaven, they can join them someday. Like I think that that would be a great opportunity to be like, look, you, you know, this is a tragedy in your lives, I'm very sorry for you, and I'll be praying that, that God has mercy on this soul that they go to heaven. But that doesn't actually do you any good if you don't live such that you get to go to heaven too. Well, that's so, certainly true. Um, uh, so I think that that, that you know um, that would be the utility of a situation like that, right? It's how do I now inspire people to want to live for eternity? Yeah. How do you do? How do you handle? It? Cause you, I think most priests have one, basically have one funeral homily they give for
0: most situations. Right? I do, yeah. <laughs> okay, want to give it right now? <laughs> yeah. I'll give it right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, so much of a funeral is focused on the way in which that person loved them. You know, the grandma made me cookies. Grandma, you know, took me to baseball practice, whatever. And 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 that's very beautiful and very true. So let's so let's focus on okay, when when someone's passed on from us, what's the best way we can show our love for them? Most well, to keep them in prayer because we believe that. We are a church that has a communion of saints, right? Those in heaven and those in purgatory. So that's, that's kind of my take is, you know, if you want to show your love for grandma, the best way to do it is to pray for her. And when you pray for her, you bring her memory very close. Mm-hmm. You bring her soul very close, right? And, and that's ultimately it. And most of my funeral homily, to be honest, um, is not—I I very rarely even mention any aspect of the deceased's life because, to be honest— You don't usually know. Well, first of all, I don't usually know them, but usually when I call the family, I'm like, "Oh, tell me about Johnny." It's usually Johnny loved his family, and that's basically all they can say. And you know, okay, he worked for the railroad, he worked for this and whatever, but like they don't really ask, bring out any other aspects other than the fact that he loved his family. So that's so that's the tack you take. Okay, well, he loved you, and he's you know, if he's in heaven, he's praying for you. But if we love him, this should be our response to pray for his soul, and that's what gathers us here today, not just to remember and to mourn. But ultimately, to pray. And and people have been very receptive to that. Nobody's you know because you don't say you know they're a sinner and they're in purgatory, but you say we also shouldn't
1: say you know carve off their foot. They're saying You need a relic either, right? Like you know you, you don't want to give them that. You don't want to that to be the attitude. Maybe they do need your prayers. Right. You know what I mean, I mean, I <laughs> think, think we.
0: I think the truth, when put you know kindly, is always well received. And yeah. and I think we have to live in the truth. We can't. I I I can never say at a funeral, I know this person's no. in heaven. Because we don't. We don't know that. you know. So yeah. you just emphasize the prayer aspect, which nobody objects to. That's why they're at a church. They may not know it, but that's really why they're at a church, yeah. to pray for the soul of the dead. Yeah. I, um... And that I will say that's one downside to um, the, the current funeral ritual that we have in our church. I don't think it emphasizes enough the need to pray for the soul. I've heard that criticism. Yeah. Just make your own. <laughs> My forefathers did.
1: Let's, let's, let the spirit of Vatican II flow through you. <laughs> oh, Don't let anyone hear you say that. I think I did. Good thing I said it privately. <laughs> Everybody
0: listening to us, close your ears. That's right. Right. Now. No one tell anybody. It's a right secret. Now. Yeah. Exactly. So, so as a Catholic, um can you explain to me? And 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 I know you know it, and I know you believe it, but why can we not? Scatter ashes or keep people's ashes, you know, around our neck.
1: Right. Well, I think the first thing to say about it is that it's a discipline. So um, it's just imposed by the church. It's not like, um, like theologically, you're condemning this person to hell or something like that if you do that, right? Um, right. Right. But we 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 don't do the ash thing, right? Because um, we believe in the resurrection of the body. Right. So you can cremate. Yes, you can cremate. We but we don't spread. We don't keep. We don't convert into. Diamonds, mugs, or Tupperware, whatever people use. they the six-level ones. Um, we 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 bury. You have I to, like you're, Tupperware. I yeah, you're, you're required to bury ashes intact, not dispersed, within a year of cremation is the rule, as I understand it. Oh, I didn't realize there
0: was a time limit. I believe there's. I believe it was, I believe it is within a year. Okay. So there's been quite a few funerals I've done that you know Grandpa died 30 right. years ago. And I believe it. I, I my, it was always my understanding that you hit that.
1: Now again, will we not do a mass? I'm sure we will do a mass, right? But minor understanding is it has to be within a year, and, and again, it's because we believe in the resurrection of the body. And so as a part of that, we're, we're acknowledging that um, we're not clinging to these ashes as if this is the person. The person's in heaven. They'll be re- reunited with their body at the end of time. And it's a way for us to remember that. And again, it's, not, it's a discipline. So it's not like this couldn't change or something like that. That's
0: my understanding, right? Yeah. It's, not dog- it's not dogmatic or anything like that. Well, because the big thing right now is to turn somebody into basically fertilizer. Nice. For well, that's what, isn't that what
1: burying somebody is? Just with a little... Will
0: take a little longer. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> there's no, are you kidding? The, the way they seal up that body, uh-huh. there's no way anything's getting to it. In fact, um, I remember taking a course in psycholo- psychology in college, and they said that it's getting harder and harder to determine who's a saint because yes. the bodies are decaying so slowly now uh-huh. that nobody knows whether you're incorrupt or not. Yeah, I I heard
1: it said that, that there has that there have been no um uh, no saint who has been embalmed has been incorruptible. Hmm. Um and I believe it is and I'm just like going off memory from like six years ago, so please don't believe anything I'm about to say. But <laughs> I remember hearing that John the twenty third, and when he died, it specifically requested that he not be embalmed. And in, in the hopes that he isn't No, I believe he is not incorruptible. <laughs> is he incorruptible? Th- I think he is. Again, please take this the grain of salt, but I'm just going I remember hearing things to this effect and repeating it to you irresponsibly. But um <laughs> that is my understanding of the situation.
0: Well, because people keep talking about blessed Carlo Acutis being incorrupt. And how would you how am I like die? He died in two thousand six, so it's so less than twenty years. And frankly, with all the Twinkies that kid probably ate, he's probably he's probably incorrupt naturally. And even enough Twinkies, drink enough Monster, and you
1: probably gonna I'll be. I'll you, never 50 de- years, <laughs> de- yeah. never exactly. I'm more chemical than human, anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, sometimes when you got papers to write at three in the morning, yeah, all the Red Bull, yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. That's funny. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but you know, I've actually this is a this is a bizarre thing I've often thought, but I, I've always wanted to carve my own. Uh, tombstone. And I'm going to do that when I turn like 60. Maybe I shouldn't wait that long. <laughs> that. <laughs> what are you going to write on it? I'm going to write on it this. Here lies the body of a priest. Pray for his soul. Wow, oh, because you. That, that's it. All right. I'd rather remain anonymous in death. Hmm. What do you think of. It prevents all those grave robbers, you know.
1: What do you think of the custom of visiting a tombstone and putting a rock on top of it? I
0: believe it's originally a Jewish custom, which a lot of Christians have appropriated. Oh, I don't know. I've never heard of that. Okay. But I do know, you know, during the month of November, it's, you get indulgences for visiting graves. I believe it's only for a few days in November,
1: though, isn't it? Possibly. I think it's only through a certain... I think we've passed that point in this November. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But but I think that's a great act of mercy that a lot of people have forgotten these days, which is mm. to, to visit the... There's, there's a, grave site in, a grave site here in Stanford, which is really kind of a surprising one. So there used to be a, a Stanford poorhouse where, like, dirt poor people would live for free, basically, and, and across the street was... It um, was like a public farm that they would farm it and they'd use the food for the poorhouse and whatnot. And on the other side of that, there's a graveyard called the Potter's Field. And instead of having like markers, all they have is numbers on the ground. Hmm. So one through like 350, and you can go and see the numbers just flush to the ground. And it had been very overgrown for many years. And then like some, so the town decided to clean it up and kind of, uh, they've put a couple of gravestones in there when family members found their, their loved ones, nice. but- but it's really interesting because a lot of people don't realize what it is. They think it's just a bunch of numbers. And I've, I've caught people walking their dogs and they're letting dogs just like run loose and, and I have to instruct them, no, 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 this is this is sacred ground. It's mm-hmm. a grave, grave site.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: And I, I've always felt spiritually a connection there. So every time, it's on my running route. So I'll, I'll um, pray certain prayers as, as soon as I pass that graveyard every sure. time.
1: Nice.
0: So hopefully the souls are in heaven and praying for me. Yeah. And that's the goal. Right. Well, I hope this episode of Restless wasn't too morbid for you. (laughs) But my challenge for you is this, to ponder your own death, not in a morbid way as if it's going to happen soon, but ultimately a way in which we can be prepared to not put off spiritually what we need to do, both in our relationships and especially our relationship with God. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM, also 103.9 FM and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time.